we sing to the Lord Most High as we read God's Word together. Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Hear the Word of the Lord. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to His chosen ones who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long in helping them? I tell you, He will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was October 2003, and I was preaching through the book of Job. The Old Testament readings for that month were from Job. And it was also yet another year when the Boston Red Sox lost in the playoffs. I am a third-generation Boston Red Sox fan. My dad's dad is from Framingham, Massachusetts. He passed on his love for, first of all, his love for the Boston Braves. And then they went to Milwaukee. So then he switched to the Red Sox and passed his love for the Red Sox on to my dad, who passed it on to me. And anyone who was a Boston Red Sox fan before 2004 knows what it means to be disappointed. Because not since 1918 did we ever win a World Series. We were always disappointed. And so in 2003, when the Red Sox lost in the playoffs, and I was preaching through Job, that magical 2004 season, when we finally crashed through the barrier and won the World Series, was a year away. Red Sox lose in October, I'm preaching through Job, seems like a logical connection to make for the congregation to illustrate God's Word. And so, in a sermon, I said, Job is the example of a righteous person who is unfairly treated with all of the bad things that happened to him, just like the Boston Red Sox. And I made the point that, doesn't it seem just a bit unfair and unjust that the New York Yankees have won 27 World Series titles and the Red Sox not won since 1918? Wouldn't it be more fair to take at least one title away from the Yankees and give it to the Red Sox? In a just world. I mean, that made sense to me. After the service, I had a conversation with a person who I had thought was a very mild-mannered man. 
I soon discovered that he was the most rabid Yankees fan in the entire state of North Carolina. He was not pleased with my Yankees Red Sox reference. And so out of love and respect for my dear friend, I will make the reference again and say that I still think that it was unjust and unfair for the Yankees to have all of these titles and the Red Sox not one, and with apologies to any Blue Jays, Dodgers, even Indians fans among us, it sure would be more fair, it seems to me, for the Cubs to win the World Series this year since they haven't won one since 1908. They still have to earn it on the field, but all of America, unless you live in one of those other three cities, see the justice in the Cubs finally winning. I don't think that God is invested in the World Series. But I do think that God has a very big interest, a very large investment for people anywhere and everywhere to be treated fairly with justice. When the scriptures talk about God's justice, it's not usually a conversation about whether or not laws are being followed in terms of the legal code. It's usually more about people having the opportunity to explore and embrace their God-given potential. People being set free of any barriers or constrictions that would keep them from living the flourishing life that they were made for. And whenever anything prevents that kind of human flourishing from happening. The scriptures speak of injustice and of justice needing to be done. And so Jesus tells a parable about a widow who is not receiving the justice that is her due. We're not told the particulars of the story. We can make the assumption widows in that day are the most vulnerable in society. We make the assumption that after the death of her husband, who would have been her protector and provider in that societal context after her husband's death. Someone along the way has come along, someone more powerful than her has come along to take something from her or to keep her from receiving something that is her due. And in ancient society, in Israelite society, it is the role of the local judge to make sure that the vulnerable, especially the widows, receive justice and are not treated unfairly and not taken advantage of. But this justice, this judge, does not fear God and is no respecter of persons and will not grant her the justice that she deserves. He will not do his job. Well, she has no friends in high places. She has no money to bribe the judge. The only thing that she has is her own persistence. And so day after day after day, she comes to the judge and she pleads with him she begs him to grant her the justice that she deserves. The judge has no interest in giving her justice because it is the right thing to do, but because she bothers him so much, because she wears him out with her crying and with her pleading, he eventually relents and he gives her what she wants. And Jesus commends her for her tenacity, 
for her aggressiveness, for her boldness, for her persistence in pleading with the judge. But here's the thing, as Rachel pointed out so wonderfully in our future, the time with our children, Jesus does not tell this parable to connect the judge with God. Instead, the judge is the opposite of who God is. God does not have to be badgered before God's hands will be opened. As we saw just a moment ago, God's hands are always open. Our prayers, our pleading, are are not meant to pry open the hands of God. Instead, God is always ready, always desiring to give us justice. So the example to follow is not that of the judge and connecting God with the judge. The example to follow is the woman who prays so persistently. But here's the challenge, I think, in this passage, and here's where I struggle with this passage. Jesus says in verse 8 that God will grant justice quickly to those who cry out. And then at the end of verse 8, he says, but will the Son of Man find faith on earth when he comes? In other words seems to me what Jesus is doing in this passage is connecting the justice of God to come with Jesus's return in other words Jesus is not saying that if you cry out for if you are treated unjustly right now or and you cry out or if you pray for someone somewhere else in the world who is being who's not receiving justice Jesus in this passage is not saying just hold on Help is just around the corner. God is going to deliver you before you, can, before you can imagine. He's not saying that. He's not saying that the quickness of God's justice will come right now. He's saying that God's justice will eventually come when Jesus returns. In other words, Jesus is using the word quickly in verse 8 in a different way than you and I might prefer for him to use it. I would like it if we would be able to to cry out to God for justice or for help or for healing, for God to make things right in our community and in the world, and I would prefer that God would make it happen right now. But that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. There is this element of having faith and hope That even though all evidence is to the contrary, one day God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom will come. God's justice will be established. One day God will make things right in the world. And and we're called in this passage to believe that, to trust that. Verse 1 says, don't lose heart. In the midst of a world that so often fails to reflect the kingdom of God, we are to place our hope and our trust in the promise of Jesus that one day he will return to make all things new. So in the meantime, what do we do? Jesus puts before us the example of this persistent widow. And I believe God is calling us, like this widow, to beg and to plead and to aggressively demand justice from God this widow isn't nice before the judge this widow isn't respectful before the judge this widow isn't on her best manners before the judge 
This widow does not try to speak in, in such a way that, that honors the judge. This widow has a need. This widow sees injustice. And this widow aggressively and boldly pleads. She holds nothing back. And I believe that's how God wants us to pray. When we see injustice in our lives, when we see injustice in the world, when we see something that is not right, I believe God gets angry about that and expects us to be angry about it too. And to reflect that in our prayers. Heaven is waiting for us to boldly, like this widow, plead and beg with God to do something about our situation or about someone else's situation or about injustice in the world. But here's the thing. We pray that prayer expecting, demanding God to act now. And if God doesn't, we still pray the prayer and we still trust in God. And we still worship and we still serve and we still love. And we wait and we place our hope in the truth and the promise that one day Jesus will return and God's justice will be completely established. It's kind of a paradox. We pray demanding, praying, uh, asking God, pleading with God to do something now. And if God doesn't, we still pray and we still love and we still worship and we still serve because we know one day, one day, that prayer will be answered. Jesus does not say God will grant justice to those who nicely pray. He does not say God will grant justice to those who are, who are uh, respectful in their prayers. He says he will grant justice to those who cry out to him. Cry out to Him. And I believe we are called to cry. It's not just a one-time cry. Jesus says, who cry out to Him day and night. Day and night. It's a lifetime of prayer if the Lord tarries for the rest of our lives. There will be moments when we pray these desperate prayers asking God to act. Now, it seems to me this is where we really need to be thankful for our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers who have continued the tradition of having, setting apart monks and nuns. And we need to celebrate those who are not in that kind of official capacity called to a life of more contemplative prayer. There are those in the church who are called not so much to an active physical life of service, but to an act, a life of active prayer on behalf of the world. And we need to honor those folks, and maybe there are some of us in this room who do just that. Uh, summer of 91, I was, had the privilege of serving with uh, uh, several hundred other college students in the inner city of Philadelphia. We were from around the country, and we were placed in teams of 8 to 10 in different neighborhoods and churches in the inner city, and we did ministry in each of those areas. One of the teams in this ministry was placed in an old convent, and, and it had been a thriving convent for years, but it had diminished and at By this time, there was only one nun who was living there and keeping the thing running. So these 10 college students, Protestant college students, lived there, received her hospitality, then went out into the neighborhood to minister. But what she also did, this nun also, in addition to offering hospitality to the team, would, would pray for them and the neighborhood all of the time. And she would ask them, the team, the names of the children in the neighborhood that they were ministering to. And then she would pray for them. And the team of Protestant young people, energetic, thinking they can conquer the world in Jesus' name, heard that this woman, this nun, got up at four in the morning every morning to pray. And they were not about to be outdone by an elderly Roman Catholic nun. 
So one morning they decided to get up at 4 a.m. and to join her in prayer. But when they got to the door of the place where she was praying, they stopped and they did not go in. Because what they heard in her prayers, she was repeating the name of every child in the neighborhood that they had given to her. But she wasn't praying the name of that child softly. She was agonizingly crying out the name of each child to God and pleading and begging God to bless that child, to, to heal that child, to protect that child. This was, these were no soft prayers from a small older woman. These were demanding prayers of God. Bless this child, Lord. Bless this child. And I imagine that some of us, at some point in our lives, have had a child or a family member or a friend in deep need. And instinctively, we have prayed in this way for that person that we love. We have cried out, we have pleaded. We have boldly, assertively asked God to bring healing or whatever it was that that person needed. I'm so glad we have people whose calling in life is is to have that time to pray aggressively to God on behalf of the world. And I'm so glad that God's hands are always open. And sometimes responds in the way we pray and sometimes does not. But one day Jesus says, well, eventually, ultimately, everything will be right. One day. That's our hope, that's our faith. That's the faith that the Son of Man is seeking when He returns. But most of us cannot pray like this nun on a regular basis. Most of us may not be able to ever pray like this nun was praying. So what do we do? Do we get a pass? Does does this not apply to us? I don't think so. For those of us who cannot pray in this pleading kind of way to God on a regular basis, there's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that we've already prayed this morning that we are called to pray every day. And that's the Lord's Prayer. And as we've talked many times before in these short two months that we've been together, that phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is the prayer that that, that's our pleading to God like this nun in Philadelphia. Anytime we see pain, anytime we see injustice, anytime we see anything in the world where things are not right, we pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this place where this need is present as it is in heaven. And so today, my focus of the Lord's Prayer is on Haiti. That place could always be our focus because the needs are so overwhelming always. But in particular, after this storm and all of the loss of life and the devastation, we pray God's kingdom would come in Haiti as it is in heaven. And then I'm praying for Lumberton, North Carolina where the municipal water system is underwater. And so our friends there, I know the pastor at First Baptist Lumberton very well, they will not have water for weeks. Winter Park in Wilmington was going to bring a shower trailer to Lumberton so that people could take showers, but there was no place to hook the water up to for the shower trailers. And so what do we do? We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Lumberton as it is in heaven. 
sisters and brothers. The good news is God's hands are not clenched, but they're always open. But what's confusing, frustrating at times for us is that God does not always act quickly in the way that we define quickness when it comes to granting justice. But even so, the example of the widow invites us, indeed I believe commands us, to pray boldly to God, to be honest with God about what it is that is on our hearts and about the injustice that we see around us, whatever that may be. And we pray for God to act. We do so persistently, consistently, aggressively like the widow. Whether we're pleading like the nun in the story or whether we're praying, thy kingdom come. And we do so trusting and knowing and hoping and believing that one day Jesus will return and establish God's justice and all will be as God calls it to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people said,